I like our little kids and how they come in with that energy into the room. Don't you love that? Waving their palm branches, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I love the kids, right? But I wanted to show you that clip of that movie because that is probably a little more what it was like. The reality is when Jesus came that day on the triumphal entry, uh, things were alive, things were electric. It says all of Jerusalem was stirred up. Matthew chapter 11 kind of records the story, and I'm not going to be speaking on that passage, so you don't need to turn there. But yet I wanted to use it to set up the message because, you know, what happened that day and then what happened a week later when so many of the same members of the same crowd were nowhere to be found as Jesus looked around to say, okay, who's with me? You know, what happened? What was the difference? What was the difference in their mentality? You know, that day, you heard it in the clip, they were thinking, uh, wow, here comes the, the great prophet, the great teacher. We never heard anybody like this guy. He's a miracle worker. Uh, he had just healed Lazarus from the dead a few days earlier, most likely. And so they are electric. They're excited. This guy's done miracles. He's healed the blind. He's caused the lame to walk. And now he's raised Lazarus from the dead after three days, and he's stinking in the tomb. And, and the reality is, Jesus was being perceived as the real deal. He's the Messiah. And of course, they were excited, as the clip before the kids said, about him as their coming king. They were sick and tired of being under Roman rule. They wanted their freedom. So Jesus was popular. Jesus had a lot of fans. There was no lack of fans, no lack of excitement. I mean, if this was draft day for the uh, NFL, Jesus was the franchise player. Jesus was their number one pick. Jesus was the guy that they're putting the hope of the Chargers on. Amen? Yeah, you know. And you know, because when you're a sports fan, I mean, you are into the team. You will buy the gear. You will wear the shirt, even if you're from Buffalo, New York, right? Just picking on one of my most loyal fans. Where's your jersey today? just says Nike. Anyway, anyway, it's the off-season, right? Okay. But, you know, even if you're a Buffalo Bills fan, and that takes loyalty to be a Buffalo Bills fan, amen? I mean, that's, that's a notch above being a Charger fan. It really is. It's a notch above that. 
But, you know, fans get into it. I mean, I'm a fan. You know that I grew up in West Virginia, so I'm a West Virginia Mountaineer fan. Okay, so yesterday was, uh, it was an exciting but yet nervous day for me because it was the day of their spring football game. You say, what's spring football? You know there was such a thing? Yeah, after, after three weeks of practice, the team comes together and they play one another. So it was West Virginia against West Virginia, and I was so nervous that we might not win. You know, what's up with that? You know what I mean? But seriously, but we did. Can I, can I announce it right now? We won. The, it was narrow. It was close, but we won. You know, but the, but the reality is real fans follow their team. They follow their players. They wear the gear. They get excited. And if you thought American sports fans were fickle, then just think about Jesus that day coming into Jerusalem. There was no shortage of fans in that clip. The majority were with him. They're pulling for him. They're rooting for him. My guess is he'd been around long enough that at a lot of the synagogues he had little fan clubs that would meet on Sundays or, in their case, Saturdays. And they would meet and they would talk about him. See, fans do that. Looked up the definition of a fan in Webster's. Here's what I found. Webster's defines a fan as, number one, a device for moving hot air. (laughs) Okay, some of you say, no, that's a preacher. (laughs) Or a politician. Right, right, right. That's a politician, that's a pastor, that's... Some of you are thinking, that's you, Dale. Yeah. So you can be a fan of a fan. But that's not obviously the type of fan we're looking at. Definition number two was an enthusiastic devotee, an ardent admirer, even an enthusiast, usually of a celebrity or a team. And then I looked further down the definition and it added this little phrase, usually as a spectator. See, fans don't play the game, they watch. They discuss it. Maybe they even study the strategy. They even join fan clubs. When I saw that and I thought about uh, Palm Sunday, here's what God kind of laid on my heart to share with you today. It's a question. And the question is this, are we really, are we fans or followers? of Jesus Christ. Are we fans or followers? Now, don't get me wrong. I am a fan of Jesus. I like Jesus. I want to study Jesus. I want to learn from Jesus. I like gathering with other Jesus fans to talk about Him. I pull for Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with being a fan, but the question is, have we made the transition from being only fans to becoming what Jesus would call followers? We're wrapping up a series today called um, You Are Here. It's been a series on spiritual life. It's been a series where we talked about, you know, God really wants each of us to know and be aware Romans chapter 12 says, live so as to have sound judgment about yourself. Understand 
all right, who am I in Christ? And who am I spiritually? And how am I doing? Where am I spiritually now? And where do I want to go? And today I want to use the rest of the morning to do something I've actually never done before. I, I have given you uh, an embarrassingly detailed long handout, okay? So I want you to take this little chart out that I've given you. Okay, but what this is, in case you haven't been around, this is six weeks, actually seven weeks worth of sermons, all condensed into one page. But the reason I want to give it to you, and I want you to kind of pull it out and keep it handy along with your sermon outline. If you're taking a few notes, you might even just ignore the sermon outline today if you want to. You can use either one or both, but I want you to take this home with you because by the end of the morning, I hope it'll help you understand what's the difference in a fan and a Christ-centered follower of Jesus. Because if I understand that, then it helps me to know, all right, then where am I headed? Where do I want to go spiritually in the next year, from this Easter till next Easter? Where, where am I now, and where do I want to go? Fans versus followers. Let's go back, though, to Jesus for a minute before we go to Romans chapter 12 to take, uh, take it apart together one more time. Fans versus followers. Jesus often used the word, follow me. It was a very common phrase that he used when he called people to believe in him and to become his followers. Let me give you just a few of the passages, and and because I'm just hitting them quickly, I'll put them on the screen for you. One, Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus meets a common fisherman named Peter. Uh, He surprises Peter. He shocks Peter by saying, you know something? You're really frustrated trying to fish. He's catching nothing. Remember the story? So Jesus goes out in the boat with him and he says, look, I know you just cleaned up your nets and all that kind of stuff. You've been working hard. You're done for the day. Trust me. Let's go out and get him dirty one more time. And he said, I know know we're catching nothing, but I will do it. So he goes out in the boat. He throws the, the, the nets overboard. What happens? Remember the story? It's such a huge catch that he can hardly get it into the boat. Okay, so all of a sudden he said, uh-oh, I'm in the presence of a very special individual. And Peter decides, and it says this. Jesus says to Peter, he says, do not fear, because Peter realized this guy must be God. And in the presence of God or something very divine, something very special, He's he's fearful, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, but let me tell you, from now on, you will be catching people. We're going to catch men together. It says, and Peter left everything and followed him. First clue. What's it mean to follow? A little bit later, Jesus is passing through town, and he meets a very different individual. He goes from a a, a Jewish uh, fisherman... Uh, and he goes around and he meets a guy named Levi. And in, and in Luke chapter 5, 27, he meets Levi, who's a tax collector. And, and, he, and he challenges Levi, who's working for the Roman government, kind of like the scoundrel that uh, Ryan talked about last Sunday. Different guy. But he says, after he had went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi, and it says, and he said to him, follow me. And Levi left everything behind and followed followed Jesus. Just notice the pattern with me. 
And then Jesus gets a little more specific. If I fast forward to Luke chapter 9, there's a, another encounter with another group and, and they're saying, we, wanna, we want to follow you. We want to call. And they're signing up. I mean, it's like if he had Facebook, they're liking him every day and they're wanting to be his friend. So they are becoming followers. They're becoming fans of Jesus. And then Jesus stops them and he, and he shocks them by saying this, if anyone wishes to come after me, i.e. follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Wow. That sounds like a loser. That sounds like death. So, you know, you've got to remember, this is before the crucifixion. And they're picturing the crucifixions that went on around Jerusalem all the time. The Romans crucified a lot of criminals, and it was the most brutal, ugly way to die. And Jesus says, you've got to take up, and maybe he's even within sight of a cross with a thief or a murderer hanging on it. I don't know. But he says, you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me. See, Jesus was challenging them to something much deeper than being fans. Now, I can be a fan of Jesus and cheer for him and like him on Facebook and join his fan club at Seacoast. And, you know, let's not deceive ourselves. I think it's easy, uh, if we're not careful, to slip into being fans. But miss being followers. See, that day, the triumphal entry, that was a fan day. Huge fan day. Never any bigger gathering of fans for Jesus up until that time in his career. He was at the pinnacle of popularity. And yet, a few days later, he would be crucified. See, what do you turn? How do you turn fans into followers? Jesus often would say things like this. There was another occasion, um, I didn't look it up, but uh, in which Jesus would say such tough things that it said, therefore they no longer followed him. People that were hanging on the fringes and listening to him and liking him and, 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 and following his tweets and everything else, okay? The reality is they would, they would uh, unfriend him. Uh, they would, uh, well, how do you unfriend on tweet, a, t- a tweeter, Twitter, Twitter, what, what? Huh? Twitter. I know it's Twitter, Whitney. But how do you? If if I'm if I no longer want to follow someone on Twitter, what do I do? I untwit them. What? I just unfollow. Okay. Anyway, I'll I'll pick it out. Talk to me later. You're my social media gal. You should help me. Okay. So the reality is, though, that it says that literally people would hear Jesus, and all of a sudden they would stop trailing with him, following him. It's almost like this. At times, Jesus downsized his fans in order to upsize his followers. Now, why would he do that? I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm not going to do that. I want as many fans as I can get, and I'll try to turn them all into followers. But why would he do that? Luke chapter 9, verse uh, 57. I'll read this one to you. If you have your Bibles, you can follow with me. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Or just keep a finger in Romans 12. That's where we'll be the rest of the day. Luke 9, 57. Jesus gets even harder with his fans. He says, And as they were going along the road, they're following him physically. 
Someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. This is chapter 9, verse 57. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and birds have the birds of the air have a nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You really want that? And the implication of the story is that guy kind of said, I'm not not signing up for that. Then another person said, he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, uh, permit me first to go and bury my father. That's not an unreasonable request. But Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury the dead. But I say for you, Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another person said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me, let me say goodbye to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking backwards is fit for the kingdom of God. And then chapter 10 goes on to say this, And then after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, 70 of his followers who didn't go away, And he sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city, everywhere where he was going to come, that is to prepare for his coming, uh, to share the news. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Uh, Therefore, beseech, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers, workers into the harvest. Go, go. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Wow, that's a great way to build a following. To tell people, yeah, yeah, you want to follow me? Uh, you're not going to have a place to lay your head. You've got to make me your number one priority. It's got to be more important than family or anything else. And, and the reality is, uh, yeah, let's go now. Let's go do it. Let's go, let's go change the world. We can change the world. Why are we just saying that? Love that song. Here's the deal. Fans don't change anything. See, whether the Chargers go to the Super Bowl or not is not going to be decided by the fans. Who's going to decide it? The players. It's the players. With all due respect to Seattle's 12th man, okay, I understand that. Maybe the fans can at least keep the players a little bit pumped up. Fans don't play the game. Fans don't win games. And Jesus fans don't change anything. You know, so I just thought it was a good Sunday for us to stop and ask ourselves, what are we signing up for? And are we fans? Are we religious fans? Or are we radical followers? That's the question. And I don't ask you the question because I want to make you feel guilty. I don't ask you the question because I want to give you a bummer on a triumphant Sunday like this. You know what I mean? The kids are cute and everything's fun. But what I do is I want to ask you the question because of what Jesus said earlier when Jesus said, you know, here's the paradox about life. He says, if you want to gain life, you need to lose it. Because he who wants to gain life will end up losing it. He who gives up his life, i.e., and follows me, hands his life to me, will 
gain it. So, you know, see, Jesus, this is the same Jesus that later on will say something like, um, hey, I'm the good shepherd. I love my sheep. And I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is saying, you want real life? You want the good life? You want life the way God designed it to be lived, where you are loved and you are capable and you are passionate and you have purpose and life doesn't just stink and and you know why you get out of bed in the morning and and you can actually change somebody's world, then don't be a fan. Get in the game. Be a follower. Fans don't win games. And fans don't experience the joy of what it feels like to be a player. Anyone who's ever played a game, and I was not a great athlete, okay, but I played in high school, loved great memories. And people that don't play the game don't get it. Because as fun as it is to watch the game, if you have played the game, it is way, way better than just watching. And that's true of any sport. And I think what Jesus is saying, you know, don't just watch life, play it. But play it by being a real follower, not just a fan. Over the last uh, seven weeks, we've been exploring Romans chapter 12. So turn there with me now and pull out that massive, embarrassingly detailed handout that I gave. Am I I a little self-conscious about this? Yeah. No, but I'm excited about it because here's my thing. I really want us at Seacoast to not be a, a place in which we just gather to build fans of Jesus. You know, we could do that. And there are churches that can just pump up the crowd and get you to be a bigger fan of Jesus, but never challenge you to be a follower. And I need to tell you right now that I understand that when we do a series like we've been doing, it has challenged your life. It's challenged my life. It's challenged me to evaluate my life in in 16 different questions that we've put kind of hinted at or put out over the last seven weeks. And those questions challenge me because it takes me, if you look at that chart, from asking the question, who am I in relation to Jesus? Am am I a, um, what's the top of the chart? Let's just pull it out. Yeah, look at the top of this thing. See the big letters? Am, am Am I kind of a seeker fan of Jesus? You know, I like learning about him and trying to discover him, but I'm not really sure what I believe yet. Or am I a new believer, a new child of God, young in the faith, and, and I'm excited because Jesus is my teacher. I mean, who's your Jesus is the first line on top of the chart, right? See, so, you know, maybe, maybe as I go through the sermon, I'll even give you one extra. If you want to take a pen out, you can literally go through the sermon, and, and on each of those lines as I talk about I'm not going to talk about all of them, but as I talk about them, feel free to just kind of say, well, I think right now, if I'm, if I'm just kind of going to be honest, I'm probably, if more than anything else, I'm here. You know, and I realize this is a continuum and they kind of blend, but, you know, if you, on each of these, at least this week, here's my challenge to you in your life groups or in your gatherings or in your private time with God, I, I challenge you to take this chart and on each area, just kind of prayerfully say, hey, God, help me figure out here's where I am now. I think I'm boom. And then say, but where do you want to be a year from now? And put a check. You know, and, and realize that as you do that, we're going to learn in a little bit that, uh, that God, God will meet you where you are and love you where you are, but just as Jesus loved those fans, He loved them enough to, to tell them, if you really want to experience life, become a follower. 
become a Christ-centered follower. And, and, and that's a way, way better life for you and for the glory of God all the way around. So that's what Jesus delivered. He delivered it in love, and, and I'm trying to kind of do the same thing. As we went through Romans 12, what did we learn about this idea of being a Christ-centered follower of Jesus? Because I, I want to pause for a second just to say, a lot of times people think, well, these passages where Jesus is challenging these people, you know, the, these are great for the big 12, you know, the top 12 disciples. These were good for the, the, the kingdom launchers, okay, in the first century. Or these are good for the apostles and the apostle Paul. And, and these are definitely good for modern day missionaries, maybe pastors, maybe elders, maybe church leaders, woohoo, you know, but these are not for common people. But you got to remember that in Romans 12, now we go there, go to Romans 12 with me. Go to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, it begins with this. First, it teaches us all about the grace of God. Man, Romans 1 through 8, incredible revelation of all that happens when you trust in Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Him, when you hear the good news of the gospel and you believe it and you really own it, okay? When you believe it, everything changes. And that's why Jesus becomes not just a Savior, but he becomes more than that. He becomes a savior. He, I lost my chart. Here, okay, I gotta keep this thing out. Uh, you know, he becomes not just a savior, but he goes from being my savior to my teacher to my Lord, and then, and then he goes even beyond that to where he is life. The apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It, to be, you know, he says, Jesus is now the center point. He's the hub around which my life revolves. My, my personal life, my, family life, my career, what I do, where I go, what I do. You know, Jesus is the center point. Uh, that's why we call it the Christ-centered life. And he radiates out into every part of my life, man. He controls everything from... from he can, I, I like to tell people, literally, he controls everything from the, from the boardroom, if you're a, a CEO, to the bedroom, and, and, and it affects the, how you love your spouse. You know, Jesus should invade and... and and, uh, and affect all of that. We call it the Christ-centered life. But it began with the word therefore. And the reason we did a whole sermon on therefore was because the therefore pointed us back to discover the amazing grace of Christ. That we were to discover Christ and His amazing grace in chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. And even though the rest of our series would begin to understand what that Christian life of a follower looks like and in Romans 12 and following, we really took a, a, a while to just remind you and to remind me that this is not about us earning anything from God. This is about us responding to this incredible gift that the Bible calls grace. Because life begins when you go from just being a fan or an admirer of Jesus to being humbled and amazed by His grace. That a God could love you so much that He provides everything for you. The second line on the chart, therefore, talks about who am I in Christ. And, and it calls out especially three different things. Security, competence, significance. Abiding in His love, depending on His Spirit, and living for His kingdom is what we mean by forming what we call a new identity in Jesus Christ. Because what Jesus changes in my life is He changes who Dale is. He doesn't just change what Dale does. He doesn't just want to morally sh shape my behaviors. He wants me to be shaped in my behavior because I realize I'm a different person. 
I, I love this trilogy. I, I borrowed this from a book on psychology that said that a healthy self-identity is when a person feels securely loved, they feel they are competent, they have some, something they can do, because no one likes being someone that feels like, I can't do anything well, right? You don't want to be that person. And a person that says, and I also understand why I'm on planet Earth. My life has purpose, it has meaning, it has significance. And in Christ, my new identity in Christ is that in Christ, I'm complete. Christ provides everything I need to be emotionally, mentally, spiritually healthy if I understand all that He's done for me by grace. By grace, I am loved. And that will never change. Even when I mess up, and God has a frown on His face because I break His heart, I grieve the Holy Spirit, I grieve God. You know, the Father is broken-hearted whenever I just blow Him off and decide to run off and do something sinful that I know I shouldn't do. That doesn't make God smile. So if you think God's always got a big smile on His face looking at you, you don't understand your Heavenly Father. You don't understand what it means to be an earthly father whose kids are breaking their heart. So, yeah, God is an emotional God. And, and, and when I'm walking away from Him, He frowns. But yet, even in that frown, there's a big heart of love that never stops loving His kids. So I am securely loved on my good day or my bad day in grace. I'm securely loved. I, I have competence because I am alive in Christ and I have His Spirit living in me, so I, so I have every reason to believe that I, I have the ability now, by God's strength, His Spirit, to become like Jesus Christ. Now, I will never get that so right that you go, yeah, I really think you're Jesus. Okay, if you think you're going to confuse me with Jesus that much, you're probably wrong. But, but the reality is, you ought to be saying, Dale, you do. I see, I see little hints of Jesus the way Jesus thought and lived and, and acted, I see that in you. See, my wife needs to see that in me. See? And that's, that's what you want to what, what, what live for. The people that know you the best can actually see glimpses of Jesus Christ. And I see that. I see that in a lot of you. Hopefully, occasionally, you see that in me. That's what I mean by having competence is that you are gifted and empowered by God's presence in your life to change. I don't have to stay the same smuck that I was. You know, I can actually change in Christ. I have new competence and I have significance. See, this is the thing that really makes life fun because now, yeah, and significance includes, by the way, got to have a job, make a living, support your family. That's significant. That's part of your significance. But now I do all that as unto the Lord, I do even when I go to work or if you're a student, you go to class, go to school, you now do it with a different motivation because you realize I'm now going to my workplace and I don't care which company you work for in, in the San Diego area or across the land, or, you know, I now go with a new purpose because I have been planted into my job as a disciple follower of Jesus so that the people in that workplace have a chance to, to learn about Jesus. And the first thing they learn is they just watch me. So all of a sudden, my life has significance. And, and who I am is no longer, I'm not just Dale, husband, father, grandfather, you know, husband to Becky, pastor at Seacoast. But now I am Dale, follower of Jesus. And that defines me. 
changes the way I want to live, changes the way I want to act, changes the choices I make. I have a new identity in Christ. So I dwell on that a little bit today because I just wanted you to end there. We started our series here, and then we moved into, okay, now as a follower, here are all the things God wants us to be busy doing. But I wanted you to see it's rooted in who you are in Christ. And he says, but don't stay there. I love this next phrase. He says, I urge you by the mercies of God. Look at that. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And he begins to to tell us what the Christian life looks like. And he begins with worship. In fact, we have three key words that we talk about a lot. That our goal for you here at Seacoast is really not 16 things, but three things. Here they are down the side of your outline. You see this? We want you to encounter God, to encounter Jesus. We want you to encounter God in worship. We want you to connect to one another as the body of Christ because that's essential to your to your living out the Christian life. Jesus did not recruit solo artists. It's a team sport. Christianity is a team sport, not a solo sport. And then he says, and then I want you to go. Go do something for the kingdom of God. Wow. So encounter, connect, and go. Just remember those three things. All right, got it? Encounter, connect, go. Say it with me. Encounter, connect, and go. That's the heart of the Christian follower. Fans don't do that. Fans just watch. Now, as I encounter God, we talked about worship. We talked about being transformed as we encounter God in worship in Romans 12.1. What was the big idea? The big idea was this. It was that, that what I do in worship is it goes from just doing church to even having personal worship time with God to living to glorify God to where I realize, wow, I worship when I go to work. When I work for the glory of God. Anything you do to the glory of God is worship. Now, okay, that doesn't mean church isn't a priority. I think the weekly discipline of worshiping together is vital to spiritual health. It needs to be a weekly, not monthly, Southern California-style discipline. Because that is all the statistics, you know, in SoCal or even around America. It's like, well, yeah, I go to church. Do you go to church on a regular basis? Yes. When I grew up, what that meant was I go to church regularly, meaning if I'm not on vacation or sick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship my God every Sunday. And in our culture today, it's shifted. Uh, you, you, can, you can see it statistically. If you ask people, do you go, do you go to church regularly? And they'll say yes. And they say, what's that mean? They'll say, well, it means I go twice a month. You know, and the reality is it's not, God still loves you if you do that, but you're not going to be growing in your faith as much as you will if you make worship a discipline that helps nurture your growth. Make it a regular discipline. That's why God said, I want to design creation to kind of function with this Sabbath concept where every seventh day it's going to come back around and every seventh day, take the Sabbath, keep it holy, give it unto the Lord, use it to rest and be nurtured. That's a great idea. But as you come to worship, I change. See, I think as as a new believer, I really gathered mainly to get something because I needed it. I need help. And there's nothing wrong with worshiping and wanting to get something or to grow in Christ. But, But real worship begins to mature as I show up thinking, wow, I hope that I have a chance today to give to Christ. I give him my worship. I give him my adoration. I give him my, my, my voice. I give him my attention. I give him my mind so he can teach me and mold me. You know, so it, it's about I give him my money so that I can move the kingdom forward. So now worship becomes, hey, I want to go. I don't want to miss a Sunday because I want to make sure I have a chance to give. I tell you, when I look at that little paradigm, especially the last one, 
what about I offer myself as a living sacrifice? Because that was Romans 12.1. To, to come as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Where the ultimate thing he wants is not really even my, uh, my money, my time, or anything. He wants me. He doesn't just want a piece of me. He wants all of me on the altar saying, all right, God, take me, use me, I'm yours. And that's when life begins to get exciting. That's what Jesus was talking about, wasn't it? When he said, if you want to discover life, you've got to give it up. That's foundational. As I leave worship, it changes the way I think. As I leave worship, do I leave thinking, okay, do I really believe this? Well, you're probably still a seeker trying to figure it out. Or, or, do you, or do you leave asking, what did I get today? Or do you mature to the point where you say, what did I give today? Or real Christ-centered living is asking the question, what am I holding back today? What part of my life am I not willing to follow Jesus? Um, that's the Christ-centered question. So these are kind of heavy questions, aren't they? Now, every day, am I always playing in that Christ-centered column? No. Some days I get selfish, and the more Dale-centered I am, I just begin to back up on that list, you know. And then the more that I walk in, in faith, trust in Christ, I move to the right. And, you know, so, you know, it just that's, that's the way it is. So we learned about worship. We learned about worship. Imagine if at Seacoast, this coming year, we would all say, I want to move to the right in my worship. But don't stay there. Because Romans 12, 2 went on and it said that as you make yourself a living sacrifice, verse 2, look at it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Love that. So we learned about your time in the Word as a way that you encounter God in Scripture. And, and you know, do you do it just on Sunday as you listen to it? Or do you also do it in, a, in one of our life groups or a Bible study where you can study it and apply it and process it? Do you have personal time in the Word where you can really meditate on it and take it in? And, and, and the goal is what? The goal is to have His Word living in me. See, that's the goal. So it's a, it's a process. It's a lifelong journey. Are you a fan of the Word? You like to listen to Dale teach it? Or are you a follower where you're in it on your, on your own? See, see what I'm getting at? Anyway, let me just yeah, let's go on. I'm going to hit the highlights here. You encounter God in His Word. Let's be a church that, that, uh, that is doing that. Let's go, let's go to the next one. But as you encounter God in His Word, and uh, there's a question about prayer. How do I pray? And uh, I didn't do a question back in the, in the sermon, so I threw one out. And here's what it is. I think as the more I mature, I've given you a couple questions. Let me just show you one of them. One of them is the way I, the majority of my prayer life changes. I think as, as a new follower of Jesus, I, you know, I, it's, it's mostly, okay, God, I screwed up again. Forgive me and help me. And especially in help Becky. <laughs> That's the other thing. You know, so it's, you know, forgive me and change my wife. You know, so forgive me and change the church. Forgive me and change other people that are bugging me, okay? So I'm mainly praying for God to help me and help other people. And and there's nothing wrong with that. You ought to be doing that. But don't stop there. See, because if more more of your prayer time, just kind of measure your average prayer and say, how much time do I spend thanking God and asking Him to teach me through life? How much time do I spend saying, God, um, 
while I'm going through this problem, would you use it to change me and lead me? Or better yet, God, would you use me and thy will be done? See the difference? So I would challenge you this week, take a little pen and just say, okay, I'd say, you know, most of my prayer life is spent in which box? Maybe put a percentage on each box. I don't know. But let's move to the right. Let's become followers, not just fans. As we do that, we move into connect. I've got to go quicker. Here we go. Connect, serving together in Christ. Romans 12, 3 through 8, talked about connecting to serve together out of the areas that God has gifted you. Uh, it talks about how God has, has, God has gifted every one of us. Look at verse 5. Uh, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another, connecting with one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us exercise them accordingly. So go hard after serving Christ out of your giftedness. We talked about how do we serve. You know, are we a recruit, a volunteer? Do we understand how we're shaped to really serve? So we're doing it with joy. And is service becoming more of a lifestyle? So it affects the way I live in my, in my home, and my family. It affects the way I perform at work. And it affects the way I'm involved at church. It becomes a lifestyle. That's really the goal. And why I do it changes. I don't just do it to please people or to help people, but I do it because I want to make an impact on my world. And I do it ultimately because I realize it's an act of worship. Serving Christ is an act of worship, whether people appreciate it or not or see it or not. I do it for Him, not for other people. See how the progression as you, as you mature. Well, I'm not going to take time to talk about each of these other areas, but I really challenge you this week to go through this. Uh, we need to connect and learn to love one another. That was the next set of questions. We talked about how are you loving and how are you being loved. We'll bring those two up. Remember, how are you loving? Do you love as a feeling or do you love as a response or better yet as a choice, or better yet as a gift, better yet as a sacrifice? See, what's the nature of how I love people? See, it's kind of easy for me to love in response. You love me, I'm going to love you back because I don't want to be in debt to you. Gonna have a, don't have a love debt, right? So, you know, we, we, we use love to pay people back. See, but that's very immature love. The world does that. Jesus loved as a sacrifice. So what am I willing to sacrifice to love the people around me? Wow, that's a deeper question. Followers learn to love like Jesus. That's a sacrificial kind of love. We learn to love one another here at Seacoast. And then we begin to go. We begin to go. We begin to, to, we begin to give to advance His kingdom. We talked about our giving habits. We'll bring that one up. Remember that? And bring the next line up. You know, we talked about going from just kind of tipping God for good performance when you're happy with Him to actually targeting and tithing and having a set percentage that you give to God and, and saying, God, the key thing there is first priority. I begin, I begin to give as the first priority of my life and my budget not the final end of the month. If it's there, I can do it. Because God is the source of everything. And ultimately, again, it's sacrifice in order to move His kingdom uh, forward. So I need to do that. By the way, it was really cool. You know, two weeks ago I talked on this. And uh, let me just say this. April's off to a great start. I, I see some change in some of you. And I don't, I don't look at what any of you give, okay? But, but when I ask... Uh, uh, our business office, did you see any change in people's 
giving habits. And they said, yeah, I began to see a little bit of change. Not a lot, but a little bit. So keep praying that we can all grow in this area. It's an important part of learning to walk with God. And then ultimately, we want to be going. We want to be going. Loving your world for Christ. Ryan talked about this last week. Here's my take on it was this. And that is when you're a seeker, you just kind of are, you're here to listen. But at least a new believer, at least they begin to say, you know, wow, I'm excited about this Jesus. You, you know, you ought to come with me. And, and you become an inviter. But then you, you move from just being an inviter to initiating good deeds and good works to, to, to glorify Christ. And you become a more loving member of the community and your neighborhood. And you begin to love on people more with good deeds. And then eventually you get trained and get encouraged to learn how to talk about your faith. And you begin to share the good news. And ultimately you become a light as a lifestyle wherever you are. See, that's, that's our dream. This is something that I really believe that this year at Seacoast we want to see God challenge us in. There's two key objectives that we're talking about. One is we want to help change Africa for Christ. I, my nickname for it is Africa Hope. The idea is we want to bring hope and help to Africa, especially East Africa. We started in Rwanda. This year we got invitations to come and train leaders in Congo I learned yesterday in an email that they're expecting over 100 key denominational and movement leaders to, uh, to go through training in Congo with us this July. And if they like it, they're going to use it to train the pastors and their groups. You could literally be changing tens of thousands of pastors' lives through little seacoast um, in Africa, in Congo, in the next two years if this thing takes off. You know, and, but you're going to have to give to do it. It's going to cost a little bit of money, a little sacrifice, a little time. You know, and then we got an invitation to go to Tanzania where they're expecting a similar number of leaders. So God is doing something really cool here. And it's his thing, not my thing or our thing. But we're in it with him. But we also this year want to turn our attention to Encinitas more. In other words, our immediate community and do something which we're nicknaming Love Encinitas. And basically, we're beginning to go to city leaders and ask them, you know something, we're in Encinitas. Now, we love Carlsbad, Del Mar, all the rest of it. I mean, we love the whole neighborhood, okay? But the reality is, we wanted to start with Encinitas and begin to actually ask civic leaders, you know something, this is our hometown, how can we serve you? And we're listening to them. And we're going to figure out, how can we begin to have a presence for Christ in, in the city? Because here's my objective. I want Encinitas to be disappointed if we leave. If we went out of business and put up a moved, you know, moved out of town or worse yet, like a lot of churches, for sale, shut down, would Encinitas and the leaders of our city who do not follow Jesus, would they be grieved? Would they be disappointed? Would they weep if we stopped existing? To be honest, I don't think they would. Because we haven't built those bridges to love on the city enough that they would miss us. Now, many of you are loving on the city individually out there, but they, they would miss you, but they wouldn't miss our church. We're going to change that. And you're going to help me do it. Because we've got to love on the city. So we're going to be telling you how we can do that. We're going to love on the schools. We're going to love on the poor. We're going to love on um, families. More to come this year. More to come. You say, well, Dale, I'm kind of overwhelmed. 
Uh, this is overwhelming. So how in the world do you expect me to handle this much of a challenge in one week? And I want to leave you with just a picture of a diagram. We call it the aid track. You're going to see it more in the future. Now, here's the deal. Here's what this depicts. The, the Christian journey you're on, here's the revelation of the morning. It's not about going somewhere and saying, now I've arrived. It's a lifelong journey until you die and go to heaven. So it's more like running an eight track. You ever have one of those little toys, you know, where you run the eight track and it goes round and round and round and round. And, 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 it, and it's like you're going to continually till you die run the eight track with Jesus. And we're going to help you along the way learn how to worship better, in the word better, how to serve better, how to discover your calling how to give better, love on the community better, share your faith better, and then we're just going to keep running the 8-track and, again, learning how to worship better, word better, be in the word better, prayer better, serving better, you know, go better, giving, serving, sharing, loving, boom, 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 boom. See what I mean? It's a lifelong, endless process. And therefore, from this day forth, you're going to see more and more opportunity for you to be helped in these areas. I want to end the sermon, Apple, on this slide. Because what I want you to do is I want you to pull out this little Connect card. Because on the back of it, you're going to see more and more often something like this. There are opportunities that we're going to begin to give you to go deeper in each of the areas on that 8-track. And they're reflected on the back of this card. And I want to challenge you as I pray now, and the band comes to lead us in some worship. I want to challenge you that as you listen to the music, don't sing. Just pray and look on the back. And if one of these opportunities on the back to grow in how to be in the Word better, how to study the Word, how to learn how to serve out of your shape, how to better give and serve, and, and you know, if any of these, you say, you know something, I want to do that this coming year. I want to challenge you to just give me your name and email and check a couple of these boxes, however many you think, apply to what you need to grow in and we will let you know when the future opportunities come rolling out to help you in these areas. Make sense? Uh, maybe not. We'll be back to it in the future. But take your card and say, God, which of these do I need to do? And just check the box if it applies to you. Because my goal is let's be, become followers, not just fans. That's the goal. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom in it. Father, thank you for the chance to kind of review seven weeks of uh, sermons and hopefully not just be fans of the teaching, but become followers of the teacher, followers of our Lord and Savior Jesus, the great teacher, the great Savior, the one who gave us his grace. Lord, we're going to give to you in a little bit as well as we worship in giving. We want these gifts to flow out of um, changed hearts. But before we even do that, uh, would you guide us, direct us as we reflect on where we are this week and where we want to go? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.